0: Fun Podcast Network.
1: This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash ruby. This is remote ruby. Have you any remote ideas to the meaning of the word? What's up, what's up? Hey, what's going
0: on? Howdy! I've been doing all the fun things this week. I tried out CMS Reflex today, like at work. So, Ooh. yeah. It's, it's Secret feature? I don't know yet. I just tried it on, like switching between tabs on the same page without doing a page refresh. Just
1: I don't something know how
0: we th- do that. So I'm gonna like slide it in and be like, what's up? Look how easy this was. And like it's a really simple feature. So people be like, oh my gosh, that's so simple. We should just use that for everything. Uh it's a little bit of trickery, but table filtering it. too is a good one.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Sorting and whatever for mm-hmm. kind of building your own like uh data tables kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I like it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I reached out to Nate earlier this week. And he offered to help me set it up. So hopefully going to meet back up with him. I think I've got most of it working. We have not a complex, but a more involved like web pack setup. Cause we like slice things in between like our CMS and our front end and stuff. And not only that we're in the middle of in our CMS, like we drew a line in the sand and we're doing like bootstrap four. But it's like a whole project. It's not just Bootstrap Four. Like it's a full design system. So inside our CMS, we have like our old stuff and our new stuff. So it's a little, it's a little like there's a few roads to wind down, but
1: yeah. Yeah, I need to reach out to Nate again or I forgot to message him yesterday because he's redoing the Trello series with stimulus reflex and yeah. Boy, it's so easy for the like base examples, but then you know, some of the trickery gets into how do you broadcast those changes out to other users. Yeah. Anyway,
0: I will report back next week and we can talk more in depth about how it goes since we have uh a guest with us today.
2: Wait, 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 wait. Before before we before we introduce, I got I have one very important thing to say. If you among you ruby developers are sleeping on hatchbox you are making a fool of yourself because you are missing out on the lucky
1: charms of of uh deploying your apps that's all i have to say <laughs> that's pretty funny i liked waking up to that tweet of yours this morning
2: oh my god it was life changing i well the <laughs> problem was is i saved so much time with hatchbox that i started doing other stuff that you know always leads to tailwind so <laughs> <laughs> Productivity lost. All right, sorry. That's it. So try Hatchbox. You're you're really missing out on on the knees of the bee.
1: <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So our guest today is uh, Jared White, the author of Bridgetown Ruby. So you want to give yourself uh, an introduction, Jared?
3: Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm actually just here to talk about Hatchbox. Let's do that.
1: <laughs> I'm so ready. I like it.
3: <laughs> uh, just a couple of days ago, I started playing around with that and I was like, wow, I should have done this ages ago. This is <laughs> awesome.
1: It's funny. Like, I've had kind of long last few months, like, an idea of rewriting quite a bit of the underlying stuff because originally it, it would deploy just to a single server, but then things get kind of infinitely more complex when you add multiple servers in the mix. Oh, and yeah. and I want to support, like, you know, it should be reasonable to deploy, like, PHP to, you know, deploy, like, a WordPress site along with your Rails app or whatever on the same server. So, I just started working on some of the, you know, rewrite of the internals to maybe build version two that will be able to handle a lot of that better and maybe get rid of some of the dependencies that are kind of a pain. It's like, you know, weird things like apparently Let's Encrypt doesn't maintain their Ubuntu packages anymore, which are still their recommended install. So it's strange. There's been a weird amount of things that I've learned about maintaining Rails servers that I don't particularly need to know, but I do know them now. So Yeah. Basically,
3: you're doing all the hard work so I can dump all my homegrown shell scripts and
1: (laughs) just click a button. Pretty much. That's like the goal, you know, where it's like, it just shouldn't, you shouldn't have to learn all these stupid nuances for every little thing. And so, you know, that's really good to hear because it's been, it's been a nightmare amount of work. But the end experience is like, I want to run migrations by default for you and all those things you kind of want from Heroku that they don't, do out of the box and just give you a little bit nicer of an experience or whatever, or as best as I can on your own server. So, kind of good to me. hear. Don't, yeah. don't,
2: don't bring up Heroku configuration.
1: I, 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 I will <laughs> leave. It's, you know, I understand all the reasoning for their, you know, requirements these days because I'm like, yeah, there's not a great way to pull off a lot of these things unless you build it like Heroku does. But, yeah there're probably just going to be limitations of hatchbox at some point, you know, yeah, so it's good to hear anyways, you know, so for that.
3: anyway, uh, yeah bridgetown <laughs> so yeah quick, quick summary of who I am. Uh, I've been designing and building websites for what seems like forever now, actually. <laughs> for a while, it was cool to be like, Oh, I've been in this business a while, but now I just feel like an old guy. <laughs> But yeah, basically like late nineties got into the the web in its early days. And, and really I was just putting websites up for myself or whatever I was doing at the time, bands and things. And then somebody came along and said, Hey, that's cool. I I need this website thing. Everyone's talking about, can you make one for me? And how much do you charge? (laughs) I was like, Oh, uh, let me get back to you on that. (laughs) So yeah, I just, Kind of fell into doing all that, and you know, over time, as I had to like make my way in the world and make a career, realized that this is a good career to have. So I just went for it, and you know, shuffled through a bunch of different languages and technologies. And I think right around the time Rails two was starting to to get you know popular, two thousand seven, two thousand eight timeframe, I think that's when when I heard really sucked through the PHP world at that time and looking for something different. And as also, as you know, I mostly have contracted through this whole time. And one of my big client projects, they were all into Spring and Java server pages, I think is called, JSP and all this different stuff. And Anyway, Ruby on Rails was a breath of fresh air. So I got into Rails and that really kind of led me to sort of morph from thinking of myself as a web designer, quote unquote, to thinking of myself as a Rails developer did that for a number of years, but I've always had this sort of perspective of, I, I like, I like working on websites, like, you know, marketing websites, you could call them, you know, b- business websites and, you know, sites, uh, e-commerce and just different things that are public facing and, and less about the, the software side of it. But there's just, there wasn't a good solution in my opinion, like in the rails world directly, you know, the, the kind of CMSs you've, you've seen come and go over the years in rails, like refinery, for example, is, you know, okay. But it just, it seemed like it was trying to, you know, do a copy of WordPress and not necessarily that great of a job of that. And just because it was rails, I didn't feel confident, you know, recommending that to clients. Uh, and then I found Jekyll. And so this is like in 2015, and once I found Jekyll, I was just super thrilled because you know it's built in Ruby, uses things like the Liquid Template Engine, which I'd already been familiar with and really liked. You know, I like having all the content in a Git repository. So everything's version controlled and and you know traceable by default in that way. So so I just fell in love with it and Then had to start thinking through, you know, how do I build around this technology so clients can still edit their content really easily? Because I don't want to tell them go over here to Git uh, GitHub and click the edit button and start typing text. (laughs) So, so I ended up sort of essentially building the editor piece as you know custom Rails software, and and that would just interface with uh, Jekyll repositories under the hood, and kind of, you know, went through proof of concept to turning it into a Rails engine and then started thinking, you know, maybe this Rails engine should really be a thing and I should promote that as its own, like, open source software package where, like, hey, install this engine and now your Rails application can edit Jekyll sites. So I was really starting to push hard on that uh, last year and into the beginning of this year. But meanwhile, on another client project for about the past year, I was working on a completely different thing. It was Next.js and TypeScript and Node, and you know, this whole different set of things, and you know, using all the latest hotness that's in the Jamstack world, as folks are calling it now. So, you know, I was getting this whole perspective around working with React components and and working in this you know full stack JavaScript TypeScript type ecosystem, and you know. In a lot of ways, it's been great. I've learned so much from that, and gotten you know a lot of of interesting ideas and things to think through in terms of how that affects developing websites. But at the same time, there are so many instances where I was wrestling with you know, all these crazy configuration things, and and you know all the different compilation steps that you have to go through, or everything's going through everything else, you know you run into a problem and it's like, is this TypeScript? Is this Babel? Is this Webpack? Is this Next.js? Is this React? Is this something we're adding onto the React? Like, it's the, some of the error messages are just Byzantine when you're working in that <laughs> complicated of a stack. And, and, you know, and all this work we're doing to build something that in, in the end is just mainly a static website deployed on Netlify. So, like, the actual interactive React kind of aspects of it are Pretty minimal, at least so far. And so I, you know, I'm working on this whole thing and I'm thinking we could almost do everything we're doing here with something like Jekyll and it would be an order of magnitude easier. Like, (laughs) probably would take half the time to do any one thing as we're working on this. So, you know, so I kind of had that perspective and then was thinking, you know, in order to sort of come out with a with a statement, you know, along the lines of, hey, this stuff can be way easier with Jekyll. You should try that out. Uh, I felt like, you know, I should try to see if there are ways that I could contribute to Jekyll directly, you know, as an open source project to, you know, maybe see if we can fill some of the gaps in, in functionality. You know, a big thing being Webpack, like, you know, everyone seems like they've kind of standardized around using Webpack, or at least something similar to Webpack, for managing all the front end assets. You know, Rails has Webpacker now, for example. So, so Jekyll has had, you know, this very aged kind of, you know, hey, we can compile some SaaS files and some CoffeeScript, and that's pretty much it. And it's been there for years, and no one's really touched it. So anyway, long story short, I, I approached the Jekyll team, filed an issue, said, hey, is, is there a future roadmap for Jekyll? I think, you know, we could kind of do a short list of some really cool things and then really promote this, you know, as a, as a solid Jamstack solution alongside all these other tools that are out there now, like Gatsby and Next and Eleventy and Hugo and all these other static site generators that are pretty well known now. And, you know, didn't. Get the response I was hoping for. <laughs> you know, it was it was cordial, but the, the sort of consensus was because Jekyll is so heavily tied in with GitHub Pages, you know, all the all the GitHub repositories, if you know, a, a website directly attached to that, it uses Jekyll under the hood. But well, uh, but GitHub Pages is set up a very specific way to work with Jekyll. And GitHub, you know, as a company is just not interested in investing resources into changing or enhancing Jekyll that much at this point. So, you know, anything the community kind of wants to do to improve Jekyll basically should be done kind of outside of the project directly. as like a a third-party plugin or something. So I personally was kind of demoralized with that line of thinking. I mean, I understand it, but I wasn't particularly thrilled with it. So kind of went into a period of soul-searching really just a couple months ago. Thinking, you know, do do I need to just uh, give up my dreams of being a Rubyist here and go over to the the dark side? <laughs> I use something like Gatsby or Hugo or whatever. And, you know, started to go down that route in my investigations. But then uh, in a local uh, Ruby meetup, we have a Slack channel and I was just kind of venting there and somebody ventured forth. Well, it is open source. You could always fork it. And... I'd already kind of had that idea starting to percolate in the back of my brain. And I was like, no, 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 bad idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stop. Don't even think about it. But then hearing someone else say it back to me without me even venturing forth that notion, I was like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Sure. (laughs) It's crazy, but sure. Why not? (laughs) So just as an experiment, I basically, you know, download, download a Jekyll, Renamed it to something else. It ended up being this new project, Bridgetown, and just started making improvements. And you know, one thing led to another, and here we are—fairly short amount of time later—and and Bridgetown is is really a thing now. And I'm so excited and so grateful that you know, I've been starting to get really, really good feedback. You know, lots of ideas, lots of uh, questions about you know where it could go, and. Yeah. So it's just it's been kind of a wild ride, but I feel like it's kind of a culmination of so much I've worked on over the years and, and you know, really where I kind of want to push the, the jam stack industry forward.
0: This is cool looking. I've been, I launched for some reason a couple of times a month, it seems like a static site. And every time, like for a while, it was like, oh, I'll fire it up in Gatsby. And then I get started in Gatsby. And I'd like, I don't know. I just didn't understand it well enough. Right and i would like run into one problem and it would be like a night worth of work gone and so i always end up coming back to jekyll but my problem is using like certain things like tailwind which is very much like installed through webpack usually and like that was always a pain because i'm not very good at webpack and so i just use somebody's template that like shoves like tail end and Webpack into a Jekyll setup. And I have no idea how it works. Like it's just magic to me and I just use it. And so I think it's really cool that this exists with Webpack out of the box. Yeah. That's like my biggest pain point with static sites. And like this solves it. It's really cool. Jason, I didn't know that you and I were the exact
2: same programmer. And if I had known that we were both spending all night trying to debug a super small JavaScript problem in Gatsby, <laughs> we could have done it together. We could have, (laughs) because I've been there, done that. But I, I've never even used Jekyll, so I don't even think to eject. I just submit to the pain. I just add TypeScript to make it
3: better. (laughs) Always makes it better, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I. It's fun because I've used Jekyll a fair bit in the past. It's not been a whole lot, but like, you know, this is very much Jekyll with. Those little things that I was missing from Jekyll that I was always doing the same thing, like, oh, let's see how we set up you know Webpack and Tailwind with Jekyll. I'll go find someone's repo and like copy files out of it and try and set up set it up myself, so it's kind of awesome you know to have that out of the box, and then anyone who's familiar with that already is you know about writing your your posts and putting them with the date and then the url and dot markdown or whatever so it's like a very familiar environment if you've ever done that before and i also love you know deploying stuff to netlify cuz it's just stupid fast and easy oh it's
3: so great <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah so the defaults thing is is i mean so much of what i feel like is is kind of vital at this point with with any static site generator you know making some kind of impact in the market is, is to have not, not just one set of defaults, but an easy way to have any number of different defaults. So, you know, taking a queue for example, from Rails, you know, something like having, a, you know, the ability to, to just stick a GitHub repo URL at the end of, of the new command and have it start off with that as a starter template. So, so that's, that's not in Bridgetown now, but it's being worked on. And then, you know, just making like the out of the box defaults a a lot more, just ready to go in some really important ways. Uh, Webpack is one of those ways. Another thing is like, you know, sort of the the taxonomy type stuff. Like I, I can't even begin to tell you how many people come into Jekyll forums or whatever, and have a question like, Hey, how do I create a page that lists all the categories for my posts and then have a category page that lists all the posts of that category? And, and you know, everyone sort of has their own take on how to do that. And there's like a whole bunch of different gems that all kind of do that, but in slightly different and incompatible ways. And I'm just like, why isn't this just part of the experience? Like this, this is basic stuff. Right? There's, there's, you know, there's obviously a case to be made that you know you can't put everything into one project. You know, it's good to have different plugins and good to have you know things that are sort of nice to haves, not being the core of the project, but you know I think things like pagination or archive pages for a blog it's kind of core to any website experience. It just doesn't make sense to me to have to to you know go farm that out to something else so so things like that I've been really trying to focus on at this early stage and and then you know kind of over time looking ahead over the next few months, it gets maybe a little bit more experimental and and big sky thinking but at this point it's it's you know most of the work has been just to make that out of the box default experience better
1: and i think this may be something i'll try and and contribute but like you know simple like a generate page or generate post you know command for anybody who's never done this before yeah you can always create it you know by hand but like a command to generate a post that just drops in the current date and whatever your title was hyphenated Like those little things won't be much for you to maintain, but they'll make things easier for anybody new to use the tool. And like that is that was kind of the thing that like made Rails popular in the in the early days. Like just go build an app without having to deal with like, you know, setting up your entire crud and all the routes and, you know, your controllers and all that. You run Rails Generate Scaffold and you get all of these things. Yeah. You may have to change it, but like that's fine. You Know so, yeah, I
3: definitely think we could, we could, you know, introduce more and more of those niceties. And you know, I never got into this, but back in the day, there was this uh whole set of gems called OctoPress that a lot of people liked that was kind of oh, yeah. you know, just added a bunch of stuff to Jekyll, but it was kind of all bundled together under this umbrella called OctoPress.
1: I remember uh, that, yeah, I think one of my friends used that for his site, and I remember looking into it, and then I was like, I don't think it's. It like enough to convert my Jekyll side over to Octopress, but it was, it was pretty like-
3: opinionated. You kind of had to, you know, buy into the Octopress philosophy to make the most use of it. And then, you know, it kind of got abandoned over time for I'm sure entirely valid reasons, but it, it, I think it kind of meant that a lot of the people who otherwise might have wanted to contribute those things directly to Jekyll just didn't. And then, you know, here we are just kind of missing some of that side of things.
1: Yeah, it's like the million different Linux distros and stuff where it's like <laughs> difference of opinion and then it gets abandoned after a few months when they realize how hard it is to maintain and whatever. Yeah. You know, like I've built a couple of static sites recently and went the route of like, do I look into Gatsby or something else? Cause I don't really know the state of the world with Jekyll. Like do the maintainers consider it kind of done and they're not going to be adding things like pagination and whatever that you probably want, you know? And so it's nice to have Bridgetown kind of saying, look, you know, this is, we're going to actually set a roadmap and like make a direction to go forward. And, you know, you're buying into this and, you know, it's, it's going to have a future, which is nice because, I definitely questioned that with Jekyll and I was like, my stuff's simple enough that I don't even need pagination or whatever. So I'll just use it. But if I was looking to do anything a little bit more complex, I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. Cause I knew Gatsby is going to be supported for longer just with how popular it is. But you know, it's, it's important to kind of know that going into a project for, you know, if it's, if you're going to have to maintain it for, Ten years or whatever, then yeah. you're going to want to know that the maintainer is going to continue working on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh,
3: the, I mean, the core team still working on Jekyll right now. You know, they're all super capable, and and you know, the the actual activity on GitHub itself, you know, it has been pretty steady for a long time. But just it's just been a really slow release cycle, and the kind of things that get worked on are, are very low level, sort of, you know. You know slightly make this class faster by you know changing this one line or something, and you know all important stuff, but it, it's you know I, I think I think we're at a point now in the industry where the you know kind of like what we saw maybe you know in the rails world a few years ago where there was just such a massive influx of new people, you know new talent boot camps, all this kind of stuff around something else, and you know in 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 the face of that either either give up. Or you step it up, right? That's you know my take on it anyway. So it's like, hey, like there's so much inertia, and and honestly, like big VC money in some cases, there's so much inertia now, so much momentum behind these new frameworks like Gatsby or Next.js or or even things like Hugo. You know, how do we respond to that? Do we do we just embrace it and go that direction, or we do, or you know, or do we? try to, to step up the game here a little bit in the Ruby world and, and see if we can, you know, maybe get inspired by a few of the good ideas, but also do some things different, you know, do things the Ruby way, just like, you know, Rails has, has you know, evolved and grown over time. But at the same time, it's still, you know, there's still a Rails way and there's still a philosophy. And some people really like that philosophy and, and they want to, to go in that direction. I, I certainly do. And and also another thing that you know, I, I don't want to get too far down in the weeds here, but you know, with, with the Jamstack, talking about static sites, there, there's there's kind of a push now to to go beyond the idea of you know, hey, your your public marketing site could be a static site, and you know, you can do all that, and then you have like you know, your separate application, maybe that's still a standard CRUD server side application. Now there's this push where you know, hey, like y- your sort of front-end basic you know initial state of your application like everything everything starts out as a static site being served through a cdn it's on the edge and then you start to to add in you know calls to apis and you know use serverless functions and all those different kind of stuff to to bring in like user authentication and grabbing some particular data out of a database and you know so if you you know so if you kind of go to the app in your web browser, you know you can almost visualize like, okay, like the header is mostly static and maybe the sidebar is mostly static and the footer and maybe like certain elements of each page or you know like all this stuff kind of can kind of get pre-rendered, and then you just sort of you know ingest the bits of the page that are specific to a logged in user or specific to like if you have content behind a paywall like. You know, looking at you know your site, Chris uh, GoRails, for example, like you could almost imagine, like, hey, you have all these you know pages, all these different videos and all this stuff. Like, you know, theoretically, a lot of that could be rendered statically. Like, it all could all be on the CDN, and then you bring in certain things like comments or like you know the videos that are behind a paywall. Like, maybe you know some of those elements are static, but some of those things are essentially blank in the static version and then it gets pulled in, you know, the actual video gets pulled in through a call to a, a Rails app or something. Yeah. Um, so there's all these new ways you could start to think about this stuff. But the the challenge here, sort of almost an existential threat, you could say, you know, from, coming from a traditional Rails viewpoint is, you know, if you start to go down the road where, you know, use something like Next or Gatsby to build this elaborate static front end and Rails, you know, just kind of shrinks down to the role of just being an API. Then the question becomes, well, why do we need this API to be something in this different language and this different technology? Let's just have one stack to rule them all, <laughs> which is exactly what you see now with uh, uh, the new project, the uh, Redwood.js. I don't know if you've all heard of that, but it's, by, it's headed up by Tom Preston Werner, who in a very bizarre twist is actually the guy who invented Jekyll. <laughs> as well as GitHub. That's uh, funny. Co-founder of GitHub. It's still an
1: itch then that he's like (laughs) trying to solve.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So there's now this, this, you know, full stack, but also kind of jam stack approach with Redwood JS, where the idea is to, you know, cache and and generate as much stuff, you know, up front as possible and push it out to the edge through a CDN and then just kind of sprinkle in all the interactive bits with uh, React components and, GraphQL and serverless functions and all all these buzzwords, right? Yeah, you know, I'm not here to debate if that's a good approach or not. All I know is that's not how I want to build web applications. <laughs> Personally, it's just that's not an approach that interests me. Uh, I like Rails. I like what Rails can do, but at the same time, I think you know, are there ways that we can take parts of what you do in a Rails app and bring them into the Jam stack and have sort of this hybrid approach? Uh, so that's Kind of some some of the some of the blue sky thinking that I'm I'm sort of challenging myself with right now with Bridgetown and hopefully hopefully in a few months yeah, some of those ideas can maybe get out for wider discussion.
2: I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I thought about this earlier when you were talking, and I have to break this up. Anytime you mention any static site generator on Twitter, there is always at least one person who will come out of nowhere, regardless of the content of your tweet and be like, Hey, have you heard of Hugo? (laughs) Which I, I've been noticing recently and I think it's hilarious. That's
1: yeah.
2: Is Is it a real
1: person? Not a bot? No, it's
2: dude, they're when they, they're like watching, they're watching the keywords, man. And When they see that, see that keyword, they jump.
1: Oh man, that's good. I
3: see that more for Gatsby actually and and the really? th- the thing that's really wild is if you go to Gatsby's documentation and browse around there a bit there's actually a page that you can get to that's basically like how to evangelize everyone to use Gatsby and here's how Gatsby will make your career awesome and it's like this like really like kind of pushy marketing thing that like first time I saw it I was like what
2: yeah, I mean, <laughs> wow. but they're running. They're trying to run a company off of it, so you know, you, it, it makes sense that they're trying to do that.
3: Yeah. I'm oh, yeah, at I mean, I'd, I'd totally expect to see that on like a you know, like the commercial vendor site, but this was just in the open source tooling documentation.
0: I'm looking at the Redwood site, and I'm just trying to understand. Like, I'm looking at there's a thing like it says how it's organized and it's like graphql endpoints custom functions uh chunks and all this stuff and i'm just wondering like do i just not have the same problems that like every other developer has because this just like this doesn't seem like it would solve the problems i currently work on very well it seems like a just a lot of pieces everywhere
1: it kind of feels like a lot of these are you know they're pulling data from somewhere else and trying to generate a static site from it. So I guess maybe their goal is to allow non-developers to create content that gets published into you know, their static site or something. I, I haven't quite figured out what the use case is for some of that stuff, but I, I've noticed that that there's quite a bit of like pull-in stuff from all these different sources and generate a static site from it. So maybe there's something there, but I haven't... Had that need personally. No.
0: See, I've thought about on field help making it like trying to make it to where when people save like help desk articles, that it actually like were to generate their marketing site as a static site. Like it's not necessarily a thing I need. I just want to do it uh, for the challenge. But even then, like, I don't know if, if these are all the like hoops I have to go through.
1: Yeah. Uh, or is it like, you know, if you do aggressive, fragment caching on that stuff. Like, is it really going to be that much better for you? Right. You know, or page caching really, because you won't necessarily need the user to be signed in or anything for some of those things. Yeah. yeah. It, it is interesting with, cause uh user base and what Derek Reamer was working on and you know, there's some service bot and some other like payments tools and then it it was a big popular thing for a while and it's not anymore, but like hosted comments somewhere else that you just drop in JavaScript for like discuss went downhill. I'm sure it was like funding and related things. Cause I think they were a funded startup or whatever, but like there's so many things these days that you can just drop into a static site that, yeah, like you were saying, Jared, you could easily build uh go Rails, for example, you know, with a static site and then just have some sort of ID that gets, you know, the the Wistia video added or whatever, the the private video whenever the user signed in or whatever as a, a paying customer, it's kind of fascinating that you like you really could do that. I don't it doesn't feel like a valid option for some reason, but you absolutely <laughs> could do that. I, like just because I'm a Rails developer so much. I don't feel like I want to go that route or or I worry maybe about, you know, if I want to add other features, then I'll have to, you know, not have it a static site or something, but it is interesting. You know, there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of potential there now that there wasn't back when Jekyll started and stuff.
0: It's like the, the mental, like wrapping my head around it sounds interesting. Like it sounds like a fun challenge, it just doesn't sound practical for me. It's a thing, but I don't know. I would not heard of red before today. I, I think
3: there's like, there's, it, it's such a, a bifurcated sort of industry now with, you know, the, the, the differences between, you know, a quote unquote website and a web application uh, can be really vast. And then even within those two buckets, you have, you know, like a site being like, Hey, here's my blog. And then a site being, you know, like the front page of Amazon.com, right? So you have this like, you know, that vast degree of difference in terms of of both traffic and complexity. And so I think, you know, the Jamstack stuff's interesting in that, like, it, it can really address some nice things like on the very low end, if you will, like literally the person that just wants a blog, like it can be so great. For that, from a developer experience standpoint, like just you know, if I even think now of like what I would have to do just to you know get WordPress set up on my computer and get everything set up in the database, and then figure out how to transfer the database to a remote server, and you know, just, just for a blog, like there's so much overhead there, right? But then at the same time, you have a lot of companies and, and hosting services, you know, Netlify among them, pushing Jamstack stuff for cases where it's like you know. Really high visibility, high traffic properties where, you know, you, you have to have as much stuff cached through a CDN as possible because you just have millions of people going through your, your pages, you know, like every single day. So it can solve problems at scale like, you know, coming from that perspective. You know, otherwise, I guess you'd have to, you know, host your dynamic application through something like Heroku or directly on W or A. AWS or something, and the costs there are astronomical, but then there's like this kind of, you know, I don't know what to call it, like middle ground of like, like you know, internal business applications and, and you know, SaaS applications, startups working on it, like all these cases where, you know, this sort of, in this middle territory, like a more traditional Rails kind of application architecture completely makes sense still. And, it, and the developer experience there is, is so great. Yeah, so it's just, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I think we're at a point now where, where every project and every use case and, you know, where you are in the industry, what the problems are, like, you know, the, the question of which technology is the best, it it just, it's it's gotten hard to answer, you know, with with a sort of pat answer. So we've kind
2: of steered off a little bit into talking about static sites and Jamstack, et cetera, but I would like to steer back a little bit Towards Bridgetown because I have a few questions, thoughts, comments that I thought would be interesting to discuss. Number one, Chris, Chris was right about generators, like making it super easy. And Chris, if you are interested in adding that, I'm down to pair this weekend. Maybe we can cook it yeah, up. But one to. thing that Gatsby came out. I think partially the reason Gatsby got so popular or is so popular is because of their theming. And I've been seeing you doing some. Preliminary work to kind of support plugins and themes like that. I think that is one hundred percent the key to making something like Bridgetown like really get a market share. And the other thing is, if I don't know if you guys have seen this, but uh, Gatsby released something called Recipes, which is basically like a way to run commands from the CLI to like cook up certain things, like adding Tailwind, for example, to your Gatsby site. I think that would be like the that would be like the feature to add. That does sound cool. Yeah. Yeah. That That's like the dream. Like the dream is like, I can quickly come in. I can quickly add Tailwind. I can quickly get my things like situated without like copying and pasting from old repos. But what are, so you've kind of got, it's pre 1.0. Is there any danger to running it in production?
3: There's not really any danger because, you know, it's a static site, right? So if it's building something incorrectly or, you know, really messing something up, you know, you fix that in development so that once it's pushed to production, the idea is the output should be identical to your development output. You know, unless you do something that's specifically configured to be environment-specific. So, you know, I have the caveat that, like, you know, a little bit of caution here if you're thinking about using this in production you know, mainly just because this is a new tool and, you know, I, I would feel bad if someone just immediately jumped on it for some giant project and ran into a weird bug and got mad, you know, so there, there's a caveat there. But, you know, basically it can be used for production <laughs> and we do, you know, our, our own Bridgetown site and and you know, an increasing number of other sites I'm working on, including some client projects that I'm working on now. Is this something I could like put inside of my Rails app? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good question. I know, I believe Justin Searles was just working on a gem called Static Rails. I'd have to look that up again, but the idea was to make it easy for, uh, you know, in his case, he was looking at doing that with Jekyll, but basically making it a little bit easier to to drop a static site into a folder within your Rails repo and just have that get served through, you know, rack, I guess, and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean it can be done. I think you know, you possibly lose the benefits of having a site that you can immediately deploy directly to Netlify or something like that every time your your Git repo is updated. But yeah, it's certainly a possibility. One thing that I've been really
2: like noodling on is like at CodeVon. I'm at this point I'm the primary developer and I care I care a lot about the fact that like a lot of time I have to spend coding features is spent like configuring the UI and it it's really become like this like block in my mind that I can't get around like I want like an easy coherent way to build the UI which is why I've been so big on view component and I'm big on Gatsby and all this other stuff that I do but I was thinking the other day, like what my dream use of Bridgetown would be is to maybe not in the Rails app, but I would love to be able to like source like all my view components that are in my Rails app and like my like assets and like slurp them into like build like a design system, like application or like front end or something. Because uh, I've seen people do that with Jekyll, and I've seen people do it with other things, and I would love to be able to do that in like an easy way that just like hooks in, and I don't have to do funky stuff, and I don't have to like eject from, I don't have to like put my components in an engine or my styles in an engine and then pull from there. Like that's that's not kosher.
0: We do that at Podia. We have a. I was talking earlier about how we have like our line in the sand with the Bootstrap Four stuff. We have uh, a middleman like repo that is also like the source of truth for all our assets, like our new assets and our like style guides. So the middleman site serves as documentation for our styling. And then it's a NPM package that we bring into our rails app. So
2: cool. since you guys are proprietary, are you guys hiring? So I can just slip in real quick. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see this. I want to see it, Jason.
0: I can. I'll, I'll ask. I can probably show you. I don't think it's like. I mean, you could just right-click and expect element and see our styling. So I don't think it's like top secret. So well, I don't. I'll, I want to see like the middleman part. Yeah. I I'll, I could pass for Andrew Famara, right? He yeah. Of course, Bush is the to master too, right? Yeah. All you okay. have to do is just be like forgot password and use his email address, and then it'll be good. Golden. <laughs> Yeah,
3: but that's it's that's kind yeah, of yeah that that about is it. the that is the dream, right? To have you know a design system and a way of defining your Vue collection of components, and then you know you can consume that in Rails uh, or consume that you know directly on the static site. Yeah, I think the challenge today, of course, is you know you mentioned the, the View components project specifically, uh, and I'm a huge fan of that as well. As to, I think that adds a lot to the Rails ecosystem. But it's you know it's right now it's completely dependent on rails in particular and and also the template engine of rails with e r. b or slim or whatever so so that's a challenge. Uh, we are trying to cook up something kind of cool though with you know the with the liquid template engine that Bridgetown uses. We're working on this thing we're calling liquid components, where it basically kind of goes beyond just simple partials and into a territory where you know, you can have a component with metadata that says, you know, hey, this component takes these variables and in these formats. And here's, you know, here's the name, here's the description. You know, here's some previews for how to configure these different options for the component. And then essentially what you get is, you know, this kind of storybook.js kind of approach where you have this design system that you can look at and say, okay, here's how to use the button component. Here's how you use the card component. Here's how you use you know, pagination previous to next buttons. And you know, you can set up all these things and have this sort of source of truth documentation and and you know ways of of using these things. So that's that's under active development right now. It doesn't solve your problem, Andrew, because you can't use those in a Rails app directly. But you know, hopefully. Over time as, as folks with entirely too much time on their hands late in the evening uh, put their heads together to solve this, it'll, <laughs> it'll happen somehow.
1: I was gonna I want that. I was gonna ask you since since like these are all static sites, is this something where you might go and you know make the call of like having TurboLinks on by default? Cause it would, you know, it wouldn't hurt anything really. And you would be able to just get quicker page views. And I was curious if you were using something like that on the the doc site, because it looks like the contents loading in the in the center a bit, you know, instead of just a static page load.
3: Yeah, so the, the Bridgetown site documentation and all that is uh, is using actually uh, a library called swap. Swap.js. Uh, and it's, it's very much like Turbolinks. I mean, I actually was kind of planning to use Turbolinks. I've used Turbolinks before on Jekyll sites. But I came across this swap project, and it's actually pretty cool because it lets you do these animated page transitions really easily and just a couple other little niceties. Swup. S-W-U-P.
0: Uh, I was looking for the wrong thing. Okay, thank you.
3: But yeah, I mean, in terms of adding that to the sort of default site scaffold, I... Like that's actually a good idea.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, with, with with Webpack and everything as a default feature, like you can throw in a little bit of opinionated stuff like Turbolinks and Stimulus or whatever for adding things that might be a nice in there. You know, simple delete that package or like line of code in your, your JavaScript file and like you're done. You don't have to use Turbolinks if you don't want to, which is nice. You know, yeah. I, was just,
3: I I think it'll was get easier not. to add more opinionated stuff once we get the sort of you know composer or recipes or whatever you want to call it, where you can be like, yeah, just you know, give me a blank site with virtually nothing loaded, or you know, give me you know one with Tailwind installed, or give me one with Stimulus and mm-hmm. Turbo Links, or you know, just kind of have these different options that are really easy to start with.
1: Yeah, are those things on the near term roadmap or a little? Further out or where's that set?
3: Pretty pretty near term. Yeah. Cool. It's kind of it's kind of the, the main upcoming thing I'm starting to focus on.
1: Nice. Yeah, it feels like in theory it shouldn't be too bad. It's probably going to be more of the like the interface of how you select those things. Cause I imagine adding a yarn package is not going to be super hard. Just how you define those and you know the internal Structure of, of adding those plugins or recipes or whatever will probably be the most of the work, but I would imagine. Yeah, actually,
3: have I have a branch currently that um, is actually kind of cool in that if you if you have a separate gem that you're adding, you know, with just putting it in your gem file, the 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 spec of the gem can include a bit of metadata that says also install this yarn package.
1: Ooh, and that's so, cool.
3: So when one, so when basically any time that gem shows up, you know, using Bundler or is updated in some fashion, uh, Bridgetown will inspect that metadata and say, "Oh, look, we need to check if this package is installed from the npm registry," and it just uses Yarn to install that, which is pretty sweet. So I think you know, get, figuring out you know the interface for the command line to you know find and install things in the first place, you know, we got to work on that. But the the actual mechanism of getting, you know, Ruby and NPM to play nice with each other is actually kind of, kind of getting there now. (laughs) It's exciting.
1: Yeah. That's super cool. I like that idea a lot because I don't know how many times that I've gone through my app and like run bundle update and then forgot to update the, like the, the node modules or whatever for the equivalent version. And then they're out of sync and, it would be super awesome to have those linked together somehow, especially if it's like stimulus reflex or you know a gem like that that has both JavaScript and a Ruby portion.
3: Yeah. It, the thing that's challenging initially is, you know, a single Ruby gem might rely on a bunch of different you know JavaScript or CSS packages and whatnot. So how do you specify that? So essentially, what I did is is, you know in your gem, all you have to do is just create you know a simple you know create your own new npm package and just sync the version number with the gem version number and then that package you know like all literally all it could do is just say i have a bunch of dependencies so you could have you know tailwind and stimulus and all these other things just as dependencies and the package itself virtually doesn't do anything and then publish that and then that one package is considered the the one dependency for the gem, and then and then everything just comes through. So, you know, it's a tiny bit of po- boilerplate if you're the author of the gem, but that means that you know you can just define all the dependencies that you need to define through your package.json and and then and it'll just all roll right into Bridgetown, which is pretty neat.
2: Yeah. Well simulus reflex is a gem that is also has JavaScript. Like its own JavaScript package, similar to how Active Storage and Action Text are. But it is not a wildly, I don't see a lot of people doing it. And it is not easy to kind of get the best of both worlds. Like we hit something just last night where Ruby or Bundler wanted the version number to be a certain way and Yarn wanted it a certain way. And Nate's been pulling his hair out with like trying to like work inside of the repo the best way and like releasing. And I I will say this, if you are maintaining a gem like that where there is a JavaScript package and a Ruby gem, the Rails release command on the main Rails repo probably has all the pieces you need because I am hardcore swiping that because they basically have a way for you to like bump both, but also make sure the version numbers are the right way for Node and the right way for Bundler.
3: Oh, so that, that sounds exciting, cool. Yeah, yeah. I was, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't uh, sure how to do it in an automated way, and I was just like, oh, just make sure you know re- you remember to <laughs> update the version number. But that's always a bad idea, right? So it'd yeah. be great to automate that.
2: The There's also what we do in seamless Reflex is there's a gem post install command off that hangs off a gem or it hangs off a gem specification in your gem spec file. And it literally will just post like a message after the gem is finished installing. And we whenever you install a new version of Stimulus Reflex, we basically emit a reminder that you need to update the NPM package as well. And it's the same for the NPM package. When you update that, we let you know like, hey, just make sure you updated the gem as well. Okay. That's like the best we can do. Cool. So we've been going for a little bit. Jason... Chris, do you guys have anything you want to touch on?
1: No, I think that yeah. oh, there you are. Yeah, I don't think anything. Uh, I just need to to go play with this, and like it seems like it will be a good alternative to because at some point I need to redo my personal site, and I want to use Tailwind for it. So it'll probably be a good uh, good opportunity to dive into Bridgetown, and then yeah, Andrew will have to see about building those little generators to. Generate a post in a page.
2: Yeah, I'm down. I also would be remiss. I checked out Bridgetown the other day just in preparation for this podcast. And the first thing I was like, all right, I want Tailwind because I always want Tailwind. <laughs> and I was able to add it in way less time and way less friction than I thought I was. Like I was prepared for like an ordeal. And because the, there was no ordeal, like in it, was so fast, like that I was able to like install the gem from RubyGems, create a new site, add Tailwind post CSS, and then deploy it to Netlify with like purge CSS, like ripping out everything I'm not using. That it took me so little amount of time to do that that I actually went ahead and just wrote up like a quick blog post that we can link in the show notes. If you if you want to check out Bridgetown and also like me and Jason and I guess Chris too are very, very obsessed with Tailwind.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to give this a whirl uh, because this is, like I mentioned earlier, like the perfect use case for me of, like, I just need to build something. I want a little bit of modern JavaScript asset tooling because I've gotten used to that with Rails. So this is perfect. I'm excited to try it. I'm also really appreciative of all the other things I learned about today, like uh, Searles' uh, Static project this swap stuff i have lots of things to go and look at after this so appreciate you sharing all that well jared anything else before we wrap up any places on the internet you want people to find yet
3: bridgetownrb.com you can find me on github jared c white on twitter jared c white and yeah just you know contributions like yeah, you know, it's this is fun to work on, but after a while I feel, you know, like, man, I'm, you know, just kind of working on stuff and I don't know like, is this the best approach? Is this what everyone's gonna want? Is there a better way to do it? So, you know, please, please go, you know, file those issues, find me in a forum and yell at me. Like it's fine. I just, yeah. any any feedback is good feedback right now. Let's let's push this forward. Is that the best way for people to contribute to
2: the project right now? Like in terms of just like your average user who may not want to like actually dive in and like add features themselves, but want to support you and support the project?
3: So community.bridgetownrb.com is a discourse discuss. One of those two. I always get confused. It's a it's a forum there. So uh yeah, if you're if you're less technically inclined and just have a question or a comment, that's a pretty easy way to get started. Cool. cool. Well, thanks for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on.
3: Oh, my pleasure. Thank
0: you so much for having me. All right, and I will talk to the rest of y'all next week. All right. See ya later. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com forward slash remote Ruby.